You're listening to episode 10 of the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. I'm Jason Tucker, and I've settled over a billion dollars in copyright claims for the world's largest studios. Over the last 15 years as the expert pirate hunter, IP problem solver, and enforcer, I have helped shape copyright law, the processes, and the landscape that exists today. So how do you keep your IP organized, protect it from pirates, and make even more money off of your content? With real-life insight and stories from the trenches, this is the Copyright and Intellectual Property Podcast. Can you really find and talk to a pirate? Can you find a point A for piracy? Yes. Now, why would you need to? Because talking is really the only way you're going to bring about a solution. And the best way to handle any situation is to talk. And to do that, people need to be found. After 15 years, I can tell you that just because you sue someone or they pay a settlement or even if they go to jail, it doesn't mean they're going to stop stealing. Another way to say it is it doesn't mean they're going to stop stealing your client's work or your work unless you give them a reason not to. So a lot of times finding a point A is important because if you cut off the water source, you can slow the flood. So how do you track them down? It depends. So keep in mind that sometimes the thief can look like a good customer. And so when I look for people, because really it's, it's even if it's companies, it's still people because individuals are the ones that are doing the talking. I look for internal versus external threats to the content as a point A. So if you've ever seen the movie Outbreak or read about how the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, traces a virus back to patient zero, you'll have some idea of how this can be done. To give you an example of how this works with tangible goods, I'll use a, a like, like DVDs or uh, we were asked to do this for a vape pen company. I'll use a movie studio. So this is internal in the physical world. I got a call from a studio that was having an issue with DVD copies of their movies getting out and being sold and streamed before any legal release. So they explained more and asked what I thought. My response was, is that we needed to run a sting operation at the replication house. How I came to that conclusion doesn't matter, but a couple of elements. We had to clear the people in charge of the replicators, and I didn't want whoever we found to get fired and all of a sudden disappear. So I wanted to talk to the powers that be so that I could chase that lead as far as we could. And why? Because based on what I was able to find online, it was obvious that there were other players. And let's face it, somebody working at a replication house isn't necessarily going to have this global infrastructure like we were seeing. So I wanted to know what I didn't know. And I also didn't want to end one problem and have it appear in another location. I wanted to end this problem with a deal with whoever was calling the shots so we could actually put it to bed. The studio agreed. We put our elements to work. So without going into everything, I knew the replication house. I was able to rule the owners out. They agreed to our plan. From time cards, we were able to figure out who was working on each of the films we identified. And so we took near identical masters and we used them on different assembly lines and shifts. And we made sure that our identified crew was working. And then we waited. When the movie popped up online, we were able to trace that source to a particular site. And based on the cut of the film, we knew which line it ran on. When we were able to buy the DVD, same process. And we narrowed it down to two people. Very quickly, it became obvious which one of the two it was. So I was able to get information on the next person and the next person in the chain. And from this, one lead in LA, we were able to map six people between the United States, Australia, and Ukraine. But more importantly, we were able to have a conversation, work out a deal, and end this issue for our client. So that's one example. So how does that example play out in the online world? Well, similar to 
The other side, humans overall, people, us, we're all creatures of habit. We have thousands of habits. And these habits are how people can be tracked. So do they drink coffee? Do they use cream? Do they drive or walk to work or school? Do they wear hats? If they do, is it forward-facing or reversed? Um, if you'll watch or you watch a person long enough, you'll see patterns. So the same thing happens when people go onto the internet. Do they use website names that include numbers? Do they shorten words? Do they use email addresses from Gmail or Yandex or Yahoo? Are the names that they use online famous sports or movie stars? If so, what sports and what countries are those people famous in? Is English their first language? If not, what appears to be their first language? How are they routing their ad revenue? What other sites do they own? What are the patterns there? The point of all of that is that more often than not, it's as easy as taking a username and putting it into Google and boom, places they've posted, written, commented on, gone, whatever. Uh, And when I run these same usernames against a client's membership site, I sometimes get a match with their username. Then I approach and I begin discussions like I always would. The point is, is that people, if given enough time, will show you their patterns and they'll get lazy and they'll make a mistake. And that mistake, like a fingerprint, will give them away. When I get information back from a hosting company that's delivering it from a subpoena, I love, love, love log files from hosting companies. Top three places people slip up, logging into servers. Now, they may use a VPN, a virtual private network, to mask their IP and location on dozens of days. But there is invariably that one login at 2 a.m. or whenever when something was wrong and they slipped and they didn't use the VPN because their site was down or whatever the case may be, and boom, Thank you for the gift of their identity. So when I find that, my reach out isn't hostile. It's hostility is not warranted. It's hi, I got your information from XYZ. I know that you've been doing this and I want to talk to you about working out an agreement because if not, my client has instructed their attorney to do this or that. And everything that I write in these emails is true because again, we don't threaten litigation. You want to deliver on your promises. So I always include an expiration date, not to be an ass, but because there's a, I run a clock and it's called my time. And if you're not moving on my time, then we may need to use attorneys to find other ways to get you to take us seriously because we still have a job to do and our client expects results. If you can get someone to answer you, then you've actually completed a really big step. And if you can get them to agree to your timetable, whether you it seems like it or not, you're in a really great negotiating position because they're moving with you. Now, most pirates don't want headaches and they don't want to be left. They, they, they just want to be left to do what they do. They, they want to make money. So the point is, is no matter how elaborate or simple the process, the objective is the same. So find the person or people that are the point A of your virus called stealing your work and talk to them. Work out a deal if you can or a solution. Now, don't be so quick to get offended. I get told where to go. I get ignored. I get threatened, albeit less than I used to. But as long as they're talking, even if it's telling me to go fuck myself, at least they're talking. They're saying something. And at least I have good contact information. And from that, I can eventually work towards a solution. It's when the talking stops that I have to use other tools to get them back to a talking place. So some don't like the idea of talking to those who steal but realize if the thief doesn't agree to stop, then 
they're going to continue no matter what the consequences. So the only thing you can do is work towards an agreement. The last note I leave you with is this. What's this all worth to you? Sometimes just because you find a thief doesn't mean they're a problem right now. I've had <laughs> I've had clients hyper-focus on a site with no traffic, but they see their content up there and they go to it daily and they focus on it and it drives them batshit crazy. And a lot of times I have to talk them off the ledge. Now, if they want to spend the money with no expectation of getting anything back, fine, we'll do that. But what I typically explain to them is, yes, they stole your work. Yes, they're stealing your work. But if they're not making any real money right now, how much time are you realistically spending and how much is that really worth it to you? These are baby pirates. I'll still reach out to them. But when I find baby pirates that won't stop or talk to me, I don't, it's just ridiculous to spend big money on legal moves. I'd rather put them into a folder and check back in six months or a year and hope that they get good at making money with the content. Because then when it makes financial sense to go after them, they have something worth taking or enough money to pay to satisfy the expense and your client or you. That's really how you should gauge the hit. Did they pay enough and did they feel it? Can your last words to them be, look, if you would have answered my email a year ago, this would have been so much cheaper. So wait, let's remember that for the next time, because we don't know if there will be or not. That's completely up to you. Happy hunting. Jason Tucker is not an attorney. All the information shared on this free podcast is his opinion and not legal advice. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. See you next time. 